listening to the Broadcast Basement On Demand Radio Network. It's the podcast in the Broadcast Basement. Broadcastbasement.com. Welcome to episode 75 of Cinemental. How can you talk if you haven't got a brain? I don't know. But some people without brains do an awful lot of talking. Then why don't you kiss me like everybody else does? How about new? The thing is, Bob, it's not that I'm lazy. It's that I just don't care. I came here like this so you'll know my word of death is true. And that my word of life is then true. Welcome to another episode of the Movie Podcast that we can only hope you enjoy listening to as much as we enjoy making. My name is Stephen Hovicki, and as always, I'm here with my co-hosts, Hassan Godwin and Latham Conger III. Our guest tonight, returning for his second round, is a true fan of comics and film, IT wizard by day, and spending his weekends overseeing Comics Carnival in Indianapolis. He also produces and occasionally appears on the You're Gonna Love This or Not podcast. Like so many of us, filling as much of his free time with the things that he likes to do, Mike Wycliffe, welcome back to Cinemental. Thanks for having me back. Uh, <laughs> as I as I explained to you earlier, um, we don't we generally don't ask guests back who uh, aren't good guests. And uh, l- l- luckily, uh, knock on wood, we have not yet had a guest who I would not have back. So you I know, was afraid after Six true. String Samurai, I might have jinxed it. But, you know, <laughs> well, <laughs> it was close. It was really close. Film yeah. choices, notwithstanding, uh, it's, you know, it's not necessarily about that because, you know, listen, everyone's going to like what they like and not like what they don't like. So that's just that's the way of the world. So again, in keeping in the spirit of not naming names, we've we've since seen, at least in my opinion, way worse than Six String Samurai on this adventure. <laughs> So, <laughs> so I don't think that's my opinion. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's why. That's why I single myself out later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I also it, have to let. Nah, I'll, it, I'll it, it held. It held. It held the spot for a while for you. <laughs> <laughs> it did. It did. But I, I'm very proud of that. <laughs> so, someone out did you. It, six strings, at least during the six string samurai segment, it didn't make you want to punch the screen. Which you've no. claimed on at least two other times, <laughs> on two no, other films. It did not. <laughs> Holy That's crap! That's true. <laughs> so, so let's uh, let's uh, anticipating uh, some good conversation this evening on these two films that Mike has chosen. Let's suffer from consumption. <laughs> oh, I'm just trying to think of a sound effect that'd be funny to open that segment. <laughs> oh, everybody, okay, everybody. Go to the bathroom. Everybody good? Because we're about to be here. Strap in. Yeah, sorry. I kind of kind of took us down a rabbit hole before we even got started. No, no. Don't worry. No. So uh, so I started off about my... an hour from now. We'll, we'll realize that Steve is only halfway through his, his television conquests of the last week. So get ready. So uh, I, will, I will go with him. Once again, I will start with movies first. Uh, I, uh, I return to my 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 preteen childhood to watch a movie that uh, I, I missed in theaters, but absolutely loved all the promotional material for uh, damnation alley, yes. uh, which oh, I had wow. not, which I had never seen. Uh, and I was, a, and I was big fan of Jan Michael Vincent because of white line fever oh. uh, and a bunch of other 
<laughs> I didn't watch your stand that scene. Oh. I cannot stand that scene. Oh. Which one? Okay. The bugs, the cockroaches, yeah, the cockroaches yeah. eating Paul yeah. Winfield. <laughs> yes. That was the scene that got him the job in Star Trek too. Was it? Oh, that's funny. No, I'm completely kidding. Oh, wow. No, I didn't think oh. so. That was years before. Oh. See, we, why do you, why do you we, get we in a car? We make the mistake of when thinking Latham has real behind-the-scenes knowledge, and no, that's where we fault do. ourselves. <laughs> when you're being chased by flesh-eating cockroaches, why would you get into a car? Yeah, I don't right. understand. With it's, filled with, with, it's filled with bones. You know, <laughs> yes. it's like there's already bones in there. You know that. Because everybody had the same idea. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Um after that, I watched a uh, another another mid seventies uh, a heist movie that I'd never seen called The Hot Rock, with uh, Robert Redford, uh, which he, he stars as a jewel thief who, you know, thinks he's out, but one last job he's gonna gonna take on with uh, George Siegel, his uh, brother in law. What's interesting about this? What's interesting about this movie is they successfully make the heist about a third of the way through the movie. And then what happens is they keep losing track of it and have to keep getting, they have to keep setting up new heists in order to find the stone. Cause the first time one of the guys in the burglary crew gets captured. So he swallows the diamond and then while, shit he, it out? while he's in jail, he shits it out <laughs> and hides it in his cell at the police oh, station. Dude, so then they have to break into the police station only they find out that it's gone and then they find out where it is and they're fine. Like, well, now we have to break into this place to get it out. And then when they get there, they find out that now it's gone from there. So eventually it all wraps up. Very clever. I wrapped up my, my quest of house films with house oh. for the repossession. Why? Wow. <laughs> That's the one with Terry Trias, right? That's the one with Terry Trias. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that and- one's slightly sort of old, almost decent. It's, it's definitely better than two and three. It's still not as good as the first. That's cool. no, sir. You know, yeah. That's um, very little. There is an earwig song in that movie that if I never <laughs> hear it again in my life, I'm perfectly happy. Uh, and then we watched. Uh, a Gotta very... tell us what it is, though. No, I'm not saying it's terrible. <laughs> it's, it, it, a, guy de- a guy delivers a pizza and he, he sings this song and it just it like. Like you hear it once, a it won't let you, go you, of you. You instantly know all the words, and it will not leave your brain. It's absolutely <laughs> awful. No. Is it better or worse than Santa Claus Conquers the Martians? I have not seen that. I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm gonna guess it's not. I don't know. I haven't seen the, the, the theme song for Santa Claus Conquers the Martians haunts me to this day. Oh wow! <laughs> okay. Mike, have you ever now seen everybody a... wants to know what that I is? I know, I know, right? We're all gonna be <laughs> running to YouTube afterward. Um, <laughs> Mike, have you ever seen the movie Rubber? Oh, yeah. I okay. love that movie. Okay. I absolutely love that movie. That was almost a pick. <laughs> uh, yeah. If you, when you come back a third time, you, because these guys need to see it. Okay. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's mildly spectacular. It's, it's okay. far better than it has a right to be. Absolutely. Uh, his follow-up movie, Wrong, I also liked but didn't like as much. I don't know if I've seen that. Um, anyway, uh, followed up House 4 with another horror film that I thought had a chance of being good turned out not to be um, as part of currently part of a trilogy called playing with dolls. This is the middle one. It's called bloodlust. Yeah. And oh, wow. uh, it doesn't, not, sound, it, it, doesn't yeah, sound pleasant at all. It's not, it's <laughs> not very good. I, I, 
I'm not even going to go into it, but uh, so Sunday I woke up and watched Jade, uh, which I had completely forgotten was a William Friedkin film. Oh, yeah. Caruso. Caruso. Yeah. Caruso. Yeah. I totally Angie forgot. Everhart. Angie Everhart. Yeah. Not, well, not only Angie Everhart, but even uh, Linda Fiorentino. I mean, come on. Yeah. Isn't this the one that he <laughs> isn't this the one that he staked his? Uh... Yes. OK. Yeah. Between that yeah, and... was not a. Not a good move on his part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, his what claim? His, uh, well, his, he, his career. He, yeah, that's why he left CSI. He was like, "I'm gonna go into the big league." No, he left uh, NYPD oh, Blue. NYPD Blue. He, that's he right. got lucky. CSI was got... his relaunch, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah. That saved him. I watched. I watched a movie on Netflix after that called Night Hunter uh, that came out last year with Henry Cavill talking with his British accent, but as a cop in a in a in a city as like a city like a de- police detective they're hunting down a serial killer now the movie actually has a pretty good twist to it and Henry Cable, Cable Superman he's no but I, I will tell you this though <laughs> it's really hard to watch him in stuff and not, and not see Superman. Superman because I mean he have still, a mustache <clears throat> That's your uh, no mustache <laughs> but not cleanly shaven and you know long ish hair yeah, it's tough, man. He's got, he's got, I mean, he's just, he's got the build. He's not, you know, he hasn't like shrunk down the way, the way Hemsworth like shrinks down to normal when he's not playing Thor. Um, same thing with Chris Evans. These guys lose a lot of that bulk between, between Marvel films, but he's still, that was- look, he's still, look, he's just wearing like a, like a, like a, like a long sleeve, like, you know, like, like a waffle knit and you're walking around and you're like, Yep, that's Superman just walking around. That was my that. biggest issue with the the Witcher. Is oh. is that? Well, at least like, in that he's got like long white hair and weird eyes and. Yeah, but I mean, every other human being he comes across is like a foot shorter than him, <laughs> and so it's like, so you're like, come on, man! Like anybody who messes with him, you're like, come yeah, on, leave that guy yeah. alone. <laughs> you're yeah, you're gonna get nuked, dude. Yeah. And it, so you're never. It's a. I like. It. I know you don't. I know. I know you have. Uh, your yeah, your my issues with it, it. but um. I liked it, but I just never felt he was in any peril, you know, <laughs> the, the, the Euro trash guys that they, they hired to, to, to try to menace him was yeah. he, he just overpowered them so easily. You know, I forget on that show. So, does he, does he speak with an accent on that show? Ish. Not really. It's kind of just gruff. It's okay. gravelly. All he right. Speaks like kind of, he's, he, he does the, uh, uh, the, the Batman, if it's not like, the, the Nolan Batman. <laughs> If you ever want a good palate cleanse for how you view him, go back and watch him in Stardust. He's not in it a whole lot, but it's pre-Superman, so he's not super huge. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Also, uh, uh, Immortals. Which yeah. is a great oh, movie. Immortals, right, Immortal. I forgot about that. Uh, uh, anyway, so Night Hunter, I would definitely recommend watching it. It's actually a pretty good, you know, cops hunting a serial killer. Stanley Tucci is his boss. Uh, I do like Stanley Tucci. And you know, and he yeah. he he Who does doesn't? well too. He does it has or he does a he has a really great line in it that you don't usually get in most cop you know cop films where it's like the boss is talking to him about something and he's got a really great line that you know you generally don't hear in these kinds of films. Um, but yeah, it's good. Uh, I then watched a movie called Breach, which was about the uh, security breach with Robert Hansen that took place in like twenty. I can't remember the year Um, the FBI was an FBI guy who, who had basically been selling secrets to the Russians for the last 20 years. And uh, 
they basically brought him to the FBI to, to spearhead this new computer division. And they sent Ryan Phillippe in there to work as his assistant or like his, uh, his clerk. And Phillippe is also an FBI guy, obviously, but he's, you know, working for the side that's trying to get evidence on him. The problem is, is this guy's so slick and it's Chris Cooper who plays the guy, but this guy's so slick and so upfront that Philippi can't believe that this guy's doing what they're saying he's doing. Like he's like, he just refuses to believe it. This guy's so good. Lots of great acting, not much story. It's, you know, for a, for a historical bio thing, it's, it's okay. And then because we enjoyed the TV show for a few years, we actually watched the original, uh, the original source film catfish. Uh, just because I'd never seen it. Uh, very the good. What's that? The documentary? Yeah. 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 Okay. You see where his level of understanding comes from when it comes to dealing with these people, especially over the course of the years they did, they've done the show. But this, this, the sheer fact that this situation ha- happened to him. His brother happened to be a filmmaker. They happened to decide to do a documentary on it. And the fact that essentially at the end of the day, this, this woman, if you've never seen it and you don't understand what the concept behind catfish is, please look it up. Uh, it's the fact that she essentially found the most understanding human in the world by sheer dumb luck. Because there's, I mean, if this movie would have contained, you know, any other person finding this stuff out, that's a whole different ending to this movie, you know? And it's just wow. it, the, the fact that he was able to parlay this into, you know, for at least, you know, uh, successful enough to go on however many seasons it's been on going on now. It's really interesting. You know, um, I, I still don't understand how people still a try and or try and get away with it at this point, because now after like, five or six seasons however many years the show's been on how how people think that people don't instantly automatically just think that everyone's scamming them i i don't get but uh, because as as my friend uh, charles charles very eloquently talked about uh said about uh to catch a predator with the <laughs> what's his name yeah chris hansen the, i was about the, to make the same the joke Hansen. yeah <laughs> he seat. said the the only thing worse in the first episode of that was that there was a second one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because after, after everybody what happened, saw what happened in the first one, like the fact that you still would be able to use that as bait to right. catch people. Right. It talks about how rampant the problem is in and of itself. Yeah. Um, Very true. Most people just don't suspect that they're ever going to have to come out of their internet bubble, you know, <laughs> so they could, they could, they could just live the life that they want, you know, and and, and be whoever they want to be. And then, being you the know, best person all, I can. Yeah. And it's usually the best person you can be is, is, is often a lie. And, <laughs> Unfortunately. And that's very true. Um, and so television. Oh, oh boy. What time uh, is it? So I finished <laughs> <laughs> I finished uh, I finished the fourth season of Halt and Catch Fire. Absolutely just a great show. All the way through. That was their last that. season, too, right? Good. Yeah, the that was only four seasons. Yeah. It is uh a lot of fun. Uh, great characters, great, sto- great arcs for the characters. I don't know. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, I'm sure I enjoyed it to a little, probably an extent a little more because I understood a lot of what they were talking about. You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of conversations in that show about, you know, computer stuff. I mean, it, it has to be, um, they don't. So always- is it, can you, 
can you confirm whether it is or isn't a ripoff of Mad Men? In your, I opinion? wouldn't call it a ripoff of Mad Men. I would co- I would compare it alongside Mad Men as far as quality goes, and being the fact that it's a period, it's a cool period thing. I think the biggest the biggest comparison, honestly, to Mad Men is the fact that even within seasons of the show, they jump ahead big chunks of time. Like within the okay. third season, like the last two episodes are like three years after the eighth episode. So it's like they make time jumps. I mean, basically you have four seasons of a show and they cover a decade of time. Oh, man. It covers right. like, it covers like 81 to 90. So, I mean, it's, it's a, it covers a large area of time, but in, 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 in four seasons, four, 10 episode seasons, but anyway, very, very good. Uh, something I forgot to mention last week, actually. I forgot to mention that we watched the first episode of the second season of Mindhunter, which so we finished that the second uh, season of Mindhunter, which was just still that's good. Some strong stuff. It took me it took me until about the fourth, fifth episode, maybe before I realized uh, who the killer was, because uh, I, I just wasn't thinking about the fact that it was Atlanta and the time frame, because I remember when all that happened. I was a I was a kid when that happened. So it was like I remember and it took me a minute to remember who it was actually about. But once I did, I actually remembered who it was about before they before they caught up with him. Then we watched after Mindhunter, we watched a f- six part French miniseries called Le Mont or The Mantis. Uh, and it's phenomenal. Carol Bouquet from For Your Eyes Only plays a woman who has been in prison for 25 years as a serial killer. And basically someone starts copycatting her murders and she sends a message to the cop that busted her saying, hey, I didn't do this. I think, well, <laughs> I think I come to well, me. She, well, no, because she's in prison still. And she goes, sends him a message and says, I can help you with this. And he says, so he goes to see her and her only, the only thing that she wants is to be able to work with her son, who's also a cop. So she's trying to like, you know, relight, reignite that relationship. Um, Everything wraps up really nicely. Uh, It's really well handled. There's no, there's no part of the show where you're ever like, it doesn't ever feel like it drags. There's a lot of story to play out. It's it's really good. It, it I I really enjoyed it. Then in my my daytime movie uh, TV show watching upstairs, I watched four seasons of the British show Whitechapel. It's a oh, British British uh, yeah. British British cop show. But honestly, by the time you get into like the third season, and these are you know the first two seasons are like three episodes each. It's like they're very short, and then the second or the third and fourth are six episodes each, and they do like two episodes make a story. So it's like there's like three mini stories. But the thing is, it's an interesting premise because they what they do is they they end up running across a character. The first episode, obviously, in Whitechapel, the first season is about them hunting a guy who's mimicking Jack the Ripper. Okay, so it's like that's the premise of the show, how it's like where that's where it's born from. And they end up finding this guy or running across this guy who's well versed in Ripperology and of course, all the other cops make fun of him, but the main guy kind of, you know, uses his knowledge of the murders to help track the new guy and, you know, learn some stuff. And what they end up doing is 
bringing this guy on board and letting him work in the basement where there's this huge archive of all this old crime stuff. And he starts organizing all this stuff, but he brings all these old cases that are relevant to whatever case they're working on to the forefront to sort of lend guidance or, you know, new ideas of new ways of looking at the crimes based on history, as well as what they're dealing with on a day to, on a day to day thing. But the thing, the interesting part of it was, is like, there are so many really, really just heavy, gruesome murders and like killers that they deal with in this one small area of London. You start to wonder, like, what the fuck is wrong with it? It's like, you know, what's up with London? <laughs> it's like, it's like this one small pocket of London is like the X-Files of bad, like horrible, horrible guys, you know? Um, they had to do the same thing with Luther. They had a the, the, yes. the, 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 the showrunner or whatever his name is had to come out and say, London's really not this bad. <laughs> like, people, They're really people getting murdered here. Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then after after we finished after we finished Whitechapel and we finished uh, Lebantis, we uh, we started a new series on Netflix this week. Uh, which I think just came on possibly at the be- like at, towards the end of February because I haven't seen it and all of a sudden it was right in my top thing of new stuff to watch. There's two seasons of it. It's another French miniseries or another French series with two, two seasons uh, called Black Spot. Uh, and so far it's really kind of cool. Um, little this, this town on the edge of a huge piece of forest and there's like a very small contingent of coppers and, you know, a local a, a district attorney that comes into town. And I, so far, it's very good. Uh, and then I started uh, a couple days ago, I started watching a true crime series after Whitechapel called Murder Town. And uh, there's two seasons. Don't ten- move there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> each. <laughs> e- 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 each episode focuses on a different small town murder in the UK. So like it's, it can be in Scotland. It can be in Wales. It can be in, in London. It could be in, in, in Manchester. It can be anywhere. Fun. So what fun. Yes. So each, each, each episode just focuses on one particular murder. They tell you the whole thing start to finish. And it, you know, so far, none of them have, you know, none of them are, none of them leave you hanging. So they give you the, what service is that on? That's, uh, uh, that's on prime. Yeah. That's on prime. Ah, okay. Yeah. It's called murder, called murder town. The only mildly annoying thing about that series is the host of the series is this blonde woman who's, moderately attractive but she she hosts the entire show sitting in her car driving now most of the time clearly she's not driving she's either on a flatbed or she's being towed but you know she just does this thing where she's like hands on the wheel talking blah 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 you know oh and this was the town where this happened this and then she then she'll do one of these to the camera, you know, and then deliver like the last line of whatever she's saying. And it just, her hands never move, but the, you know, stuff is going by and it's obviously not a green screen, but you're just like, all right, but there's never, that's, she's never not in the car. You she know, delivers like, a line and won't get fooled again, plays in the back. Yes, in the back. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So that's the only, the only thing that's mildly off-putting about the show. Other than so that, it's a fun choice. little, 
it's a fun little travelogue of of uh british and uh, uk murders you know small town murders so that's kind yeah, of a neat the, little you know, show that's kind of where i get off the boat with a lot of that stuff is that they turn it in they try to be you know like quirky and entertaining while they're talking about some really bad shit you know right it's like right. just i'm just here for the inter- for the for the for the information yeah. there's you know? not like there's not an obscene there's not an unbalanced amount of that stuff it just seems like it, it just, just seems, beats it wrong it just feels when i'm wrong, when i'm right? watching and listening to the stuff and glancing over at the tv and, and paying attention whenever that comes up it always it kind of takes me out of the delivery of information unfortunately yeah it takes gotcha. me away from what the show is trying to give to me and that was why i thought it, it's kind of a a, a down th- a downer for me so whatever uh and uh and that was it so uh Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> what happened, Steve? <laughs> what? what about Peter? <laughs> what about what about what? Theater. <laughs> no no theater, like come on. Okay. But that was only Thursday, right? <laughs> so what about Friday, Saturday, Sunday? Did, did right. you read, did you read any books, Stevie? Uh no books this week. Sorry. I started a new book. Yeah. Why didn't you have the New Romantics Under the Bridge? Oh, okay. We're gonna do this now. Let's no, not we're not do doing now. it now. I didn't, it, but I started it. Oh, okay. I told you I had a plan, so the plan has begun. Okay. Oh boy. All right. I'm, I'm ready. ready. We're doing this some other time. Some other time. <laughs> but I'm ready. <laughs> for for Mike, uh, just so you were aware, the new romantics uh, under the bridge is the first the first volume of Hassan's novel series. So. Ah, okay. I knew I'd heard the title. I just couldn't remember off the top of my head. Sorry. Yeah, there's only 37 uh, parts, too. So (laughs) uh, I'm looking forward to being done by, uh, well, my death. But uh, (laughs) you're not, you're sadly not that far off. But okay. But it's (laughs) great. I need something to entertain. I'm fucking 85 and decrepit. (laughs) It's called Hassan's Wheel of Time. (laughs) Yes. It is the only book that ages you as you read it. So, uh, <laughs> I can only hope. I can only hope there's a very, visceral very reaction to it. Very effective. <laughs> All right. All right. I read this um, and I wanted to kill myself. So it worked. I yes, just wanted that. to punch this book in the face. <laughs> hey, uh, Mike, we want to thank you for being on the show tonight. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, sorry about your movies, uh, but a lot of time. And uh, we'll see you later. Take care. Bye. So for Mike's follow-up film, uh, and I don't know if you, again, I don't know if you call it a guilty pleasure or not, but uh, it's They Might Be Giants. They Might Be Giants. George C. Scott, Academy Award nominee for Patton, and Joanne Woodward in a delightfully different, slightly mad love story. Give me my shoe! No one you've loved has ever loved you back. You've got a temper that you can't control. That suit is 10 years old, and you annoy the living Jesus out of me. I can't call information. I am information. A flash of frenzy and some fantastic people. I like your house. It's a mess. It's nice. It's just like you. I'm busy. You go away. George C. Scott marching to a different tune than the rest of us. In the midst of a world gone mad, they found each other. George C. Scott, Joanne Woodward, in They Might Be Giants, but they are, aren't they?
from 1971, directed by Anthony Harvey with a running time of 91 minutes. A man convinced he is Sherlock Steve's Holmes. Steve's like, hey, it's a movie. <laughs> what, what, what's everything think of the movie? It's a movie about a guy who thinks he's Sherlock Holmes, who gets treated by a doctor who his name happens to be Watson, and hilarity ensues. Mike, why did you pick They Might Be Giants? <laughs> That's pretty good synopsis, man. It's a great lead in, yeah. No, um, again, it's it's kind of that theory, that uh, that that through line of frustration. Uh, you know, here's a guy who, as he a guy, is, George right? C. Scott. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, fresh yeah. off of Patton, by the way. Yeah. Exactly. And, and uh, but uh, a palate cleanser for him. He, he's a guy who. <laughs> did everything right. He was a, a reformer. He was a guy that tried to see justice done in the world and it just became too much for him. And he, he finally cracked and he didn't want to be, he didn't want to be that guy anymore. He wanted to be somebody else. He didn't want to be who he was anymore. And it, it's, it's kind of a testament to being who you want, no matter what anybody else says and not letting what they, you know, not letting people get, get you down in the face of, you know, reality. <laughs> yeah. But it also is just a very sweet movie. It's it's not the comedy that it makes itself out to be, but it is still a fun movie to watch. I, I, I will not deny that I first found out about the movie because I am a huge fan of the band. <laughs> oh, that's funny. I, I, did the I band not... get their name from this movie? They yes. did. Yep. Yeah, curious. That's where they, that's where they took it from. Um... Matter of fact, it's even it's even funnier for me because the first time I, the you know with the other movie we did, uh, which is Dave Made a Maze. Uh, you know, one of the, the bass player for OK Go is in there. The first time I ever heard of OK Go was when they were opening for They Might Be Giants here in Indianapolis. Wow. Six months wow. before they were on Conan. Wow. Six there degrees of giants. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, here we go. Here we go. Here we go uh, again. Oh, and here we go again. <laughs> so, okay. more. <laughs> Lay, and Latham, now Latham. the music has go, to be paid for and yeah go. right well, <laughs> yeah. Not, if, not if we sing it it doesn't <laughs> yeah no it doesn't if i play this song you're so off key yeah. it's all right and, yeah. and here yeah. come the ascap license okay. uh yeah this film i had such a, a feeling of deja vu with this after after it finally got to the end of this movie and and wrapped up i, I this is you know it's a fantasy about mental illness and love and, and finding yourself and being happy with yourself. And I, I feel wow. like this movie is essentially a oh, wait, wait, what are you going to compare it to? I think I know what you're going to compare it to, but go ahead. Go ahead. It's a, this movie is a much lesser version of the Fisher King. Fisher King. Yes. Uh, I mean, essentially, I mean, I, once I, once I got to the end of it, I'm like, Holy fuck. Gilliam definitely saw this movie. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's about the freedom of marching to a different drummer, uh, how the mainstream's vision of what you're doing can can lead to be one of understand misunderstanding because they can't see the world the way that you do. And that's fine. You know, that that's 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 fine. I think the movie in and of itself, it was OK. Uh, I love George C. Scott. I love Joanne Woodward. The movie itself, what I'm most interested about, actually, the fact that this movie was the screenplay was created, was written by the guy who wrote the original stage play. I would really be interested in seeing how this movie would play out as a stage production, 
because they're all over the place in this movie. There's, I mean, there's clearly way too many locations for them to do as a, as an actual onstage yeah. production. Um, so I'd love to, to look at originally the, the original uh, the stage play of this, just to see how, um, how it was produced. But beyond that, yeah, I, I, it's it was okay uh it didn't uh it didn't grab me uh i liked the i liked the concept of the title of the where he gets the title of the film from and obviously where the band pulled their name from about how he felt that you know don quixote thought that windmills were giants but that's it's not you know it's not that they are giants but it's the fact that they might be it's the the potentiality of things is far better than something being specific than specifics so yeah, I, I don't I don't have a lot to say about this. Like I said, I I enjoyed I enjoyed watching it. I'm glad I saw it. You know, much to, like you know Hassan's usual response to something that's in his mind uh, uh, a film that he'll probably never ever watch again and is oh you you know, you've, it's, you've seen through that this whole time. It's got some, <laughs> <laughs> it's got some interesting stuff in it. I just don't think that uh, I, the, the the thing I find most interesting, I actually found out about once I was digging a little into it, was the fact that the the oh, original running time of this movie was 98 minutes. And it said none of the streaming or DVD versions, save for the U.S. Anchor Bay release, currently available, include the full film. It says the Netflix version runs 91.15 and the Universal DVD on demand runs only 84 minutes the penultimate scene in the grocery store is missing in these versions. So the Kino really? Lorber Blu-ray put it back in too, because that's what I have. Ah, um, okay. But, and, uh, and, the, and the version I was able to track down had it in it as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, so that was excised at one point and I knew why. And now I forget. I think the, the studio didn't like it, but, and then there's one other scene where after, after she tells him off and leaves, uh, he spends a night being mad. You know, he's he's upset. He's a little heartbroken because she actually walked away. Right. Uh, and he spends a night in the gutter, essentially. And that oh. part isn't even on the uh, the Kino Lorber or the uh, Anchor Bay. Right. Um, it's it's just kind of missing. Um, it's a deleted but it, scene. It wasn't really the the commentary I was listening to. He he wasn't really. It didn't need to be there. It just right. was. And so he wasn't upset with it being gone, but the whole, the grocery store scene at the end is important. I feel so. I feel so as well. Be really jarring to not have it. And I've not seen the movie without it, but you've got to, it's got to lead to somewhere with that big assembly March scene, you know, where I love that so much. Sorry. Right. But that, that, that scene, like you're saying that scene, that March scene without the grocery store scene Mm -hmm. almost makes no sense. Yeah, it's just like so. Why is this parade happening? I don't. I don't get this. Why is every yeah. why is every character scene, he's run across or interacted with throughout the course of the film suddenly out around and marching with him? And it's like it doesn't and, unless without a reason and no destination. It makes no sense. That whole scene reminds me of something, but I cannot put a finger to what it is. Uh, you know that, that walking through the scenes and collecting all the people that you've re- that you've yeah. run into. It's there's something that it's that has done that to great effect and i cannot recall what it was which means it didn't do it to that great effect but um but i i i don't know what it was and it really bugs me because it feels almost like a uh like like some kind of old samurai movie at 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 some point you know he's marching off to war kind of thing and 
everyone's joining in behind him. Uh, yeah. Almost like, uh, uh, you know, like the, the end of the act in, in Les Mis, you know, they're. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of things have used that in different ways where the characters collect, but I can't think of one right now either. So. Hassan, what'd you think? I've never heard of this movie at all. Um, I, I didn't know where the name for the band. I, I love the band. I never knew where the, they got their name from. Um, I love George C. Scott. It's funny that the, the that this is following Patton because it's a you know it's a completely different. I mean, it's a, it's just a world's different than uh, than the character he plays here. I you know what I think it's another one of the situations. The same with uh, uh, Dave made a maze, where it just it kind of doesn't waste any time establishing itself with you like it's just it sets it up his brother's in this room his brother's saying i can steal my brother's fortune if i have him committed <laughs> he hears it and it, you know so you don't know if he's lucid and just and just leaning into the, the the possibilities of being insane or if he's insane but but you know momentarily lucid at time and, and it just really doesn't matter because his insanity is working. It's one of the dynamics in the, in, in this film's what's like a Shakespearean situation where the disguises work. His insanity is actually what allows him to navigate through the insanity that yeah. is, you know, the surrounding them. And so his, his brother and the, and uh, Strickland, uh, yes. <laughs> you know, Mr. Strickland, uh, Lacker. <laughs> yeah. he's, that guy's always going to be Strickland I'm sorry no matter what um, he, they all seem to be moving really slow and sluggishly and very very cartoonishly sinister you know in what their real world plans are in comparison to the you know effervescent you know, uh, uh, you know behavior of George C. Scott just kind of bouncing around the whole movie and just going places. And then it's the, the person in the middle, the, uh, the John Woodward Watson in the middle, which is the only thing I thought was a little on the nose is that her name was Watson. Like, wow. All right. I well, got that's you. what but, gets him to hook onto her though. Right. Yeah. I, it's she fair. doesn't have that it's, name. It doesn't, it doesn't work. I know, but it's like for, for, for the, for the film's cleverness, the film is very clever in, in 99% of all the other things it does. But this one's just kind of punching the nose, like, and her name's Watson. Like, <laughs> just deal with it, you know. Just, just run with us on this, you know. Um, she's, you know, the the way she kind of straddles the middle, where she is a, an analyst in an insane world, but she's susceptible to to you know to engaging in this in the fantasy stuff. She's, you know, there's she's she's um, uh, she's reachable. In that, you know, she's, right. she's flexible to that to a level like, you know, I, you know, this I could see that the uses of this, uh, this mentality, even though, you know, all the training that I've had has taught me that it's not right. And then the way he psychoanalyzes her pretty much to a T, you know, I, I don't quite know what the movie's trying to say. I mean, I think it, I think it says a lot of things. And I don't think it's it, I don't think it's saying any one thing. Right. Of course, it's about, you know, be yourself regardless of, uh, you know, what anybody's telling you, what the world is trying to do to you. Don't let anything get you down. Like always see the, you know, always, you know, your mind's going to get you out of whatever trauma that you've gone through. It's not as 
the trauma that he's dealing with is undisclosed, unlike the Fisher King, which was pretty fucking traumatic. Well, his, um, his wife died. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, but I mean, they, they kind of just, you know, they just say it. Like, they, yeah. it, 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 it glosses. It, you know, pe- oh. people who, sometimes people die, you don't ne- necessarily have a psychotic break. You yeah, know, it, so like, I mean, in the Fisher King, she was, she, you know, she was exploded in front of him, you know, yeah. so. It you you kind of understood that why this guy is no longer connected, right? It doesn't matter. It it wasn't necessary. It uh, I don't know if I missed it, but do you think that it was Moriarty kind of insanity? Was it was it a specter of insanity? Hmm. And then towards I, the end of the story, Woodward is yeah. like Woodward Woodward's opening herself up to potentially being insane. You know, when she, I, when she can I hear don't the know horse. If it's that so much as she wanted to hear that. She wanted to hear it at the end. But uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think his thinking on it is, well, if he's not Justin Playfair, then he, which is a great name, by the way. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> then he's then he's Shakespeare, Shakespeare. Uh, then he's Sherlock. And if he's Sherlock, <laughs> right. then there has to be a Moriarty. And so that's right. why you keep seeing all these weird, interconnected, you know, Dirk Gently style. Right. Clues, um, that he just keeps following across because he knows there has to be some plan some plot or else none of this makes sense and so right. it's him just trying to make sense of it i know what he's trying to do but i'm just wondering if the movie's trying to say that the thing he's chasing is you know is is the is a specter of a is a is a manifestation of the insanity that he's going through and not in a negative way to the point where right after being with him through that throughout the entire film Watson can now she she and can now just, hear what he he hears. You know, she can just, see the, and that just may be through an acceptance of accepting him the way he is. She's sort of on the same wavelength without kind of a, yeah, giving up her own question is 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 she really the actually the main character of the movie? Because she's really the only one with an arc. True. It seems like it at times for sure. Uh, well, yeah, but I mean he's that's the, what I, that, he's the mechanism, but that's why I'm asking. I and mean, that's what I'm saying. Like this thing that they're chasing that doesn't, it's this undefined. He doesn't really explain any of, uh, you know, the, the, the nuances of any of the clues that he finds. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the point where, I mean, like, again, at the end, it's, it's a great scene, but it is, again, it's on the nose where she can hear. That's what, that's what le- led me to believe that we were watching her not necessarily crazy? going insane. No, I see. That's the thing. I think. I think to just call it crazy is missing the point of the film, right? You know, um, but I think at that point, I mean, I think if you want to, if you want to oversimplify it, she's going crazy like him. She could see the world through his eyes by then. But I think it's, you know, I think it's much more. I think I think it's much more gentle than that, and I think it's much more complex than that you know yeah, in that situation I, I think it's i think it's more acceptance of him the way he is than it is her you know kind of leaning into it personally but i i okay um i i just i don't know the only reason that that gets me thinking that it's not necessarily such a a conscious choice but a subconscious choice was was the fact that she wanted to hear something you know by right. then and uh and then when she finally did, it was like a revelation to her, you know? Right. But I mean, it's, it's, it's like, it's like, like I said before, it's open to interpretation. It, it totally is. I, I think it's a delightful little film. I think, 
I, it's great seeing George C. Scott like that. You know, I think he, I think he did a yeah. bang up job. Like he was very convincing and he, he was likable. It's very difficult when you have insane, you know, when your, your main character or the, the you know, theoretical main character is insane. It's hard sometimes to achieve likability because in order to, in order to convey that this person is not with it, they've got to do things that are so out outlandish right. that, you know, it, it, it threatens the likability of that person. And then it also threatens the credulity of whoever's hanging out with them. You know, like, why are you hanging out with this insane person? <laughs> but you, you not only got his, his quirk, but you also got the fact that Woodward was fascinated with it, which right. justified her following him around. Yep. I just thought it was, you know, I also thought that's F. Murray Abraham. <laughs> in his <laughs> first, in his first movie. His first film. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't, and I was like, isn't that F. Murray Abraham? <laughs> <laughs> and so, I mean, there's and then, and there's also the other guy, uh, um, the guy from WKRP in Cincinnati. Um, yeah. uh, but whatever, I can't I forget his name now. But he was one of the the garbage men. I thought it was great. I thought the film was great. I don't know if I'll. I probably would watch this film again. You know, so it's like I am happy I saw it, but it's not a euphemism. I I <laughs> I probably would sit through this again. Um, I thought Woodward's character was fantastic. I think, you know, a lot of people can't pull that off. Like the, the, the person who is professional is professionally with it, but socially a mess, you know, that's not, you know, and a lot, and and that's open to tropes, you know, the, 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 the hot chick who thinks she's ugly, you know, the, all these really bad Hollywood things takes on it where it just didn't bother to do any of that stuff. You just, it was it was all cerebral. Her attraction to him was cerebral. The, the entire situation was cerebral. So um, I I thoroughly enjoyed this one. I didn't even know it existed until. So now I like the band and I like the movie where the band's name came from. So <laughs> as Lay, it was a full evening for me. I'm good. That's right. Lay, what do you got? Uh, well, I haven't seen a lot of films with George C. Scott or Joanne Woodward, so it, it, that was the most pleasant surprise is seeing these two. I, I didn't realize George C. Scott was such a good actor. I mean, mm-hmm. he's he's pretty good. I, I don't. Well, I think got, I don't. You've got some fun stuff to catch up with. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sorry. He was in Network, right? No, no. Oh no, I'm sorry. That was um, uh, Peter Finch, the guy. Oh, who, Peter Finch, the guy who died. Yeah, never mind. But he's he's I've only seen him, I think, in Patton. So this was, you know, like Hassan said, 180 degrees away from Patton. And it's, you know, it's it's fun watching him play. You know, he's playing an insane character, but, you know, watching him play Sherlock Holmes and just nailing it is is great. Um, Joanne Woodward, you know, the way she plays it understated is great. And that's what I focused on. I, I wasn't too thrilled with the the actual story and where it was going i I like the fact that i like i like the the plot device of he'd find clues by circumstance i think that's i've always (laughs) wanted to formulate a story around that and i thought that was i think they did a decent job of it but um you know i i wouldn't i i don't think it's any great thing but the thing you know the glue that holds it together is their acting and the there's just, you know, strange scenes that the scene in, in the uh, upstairs garden at, you know, at the school where the two people are living up there. It's just <laughs> With the like, topiary. <laughs> it's just like, okay, where did that come? Well, why did that get written down? Why is that the scene for up there? And 
that's like one of the more charming scenes in the movie. And they like make the, they make the effort to show him like swinging all the way. Yes. (laughs) You don't have to show that, but that makes it more charming that he's like being swashbuckling and swinging his way to the exit and then getting out of there. Um, I really, I think my favorite scene in the movie is when he talks to the older guy after, um, after uh, John Woodward leaves him for the night He's talking to the older guy. That that's a great little mm-hmm. it's quirky scene and that that resonated really well. I love how he shows up later with his little Scarlet Pimpernel hat. Yeah, <laughs> and that that see that's someone paying attention with the story. That's right. Good. Um, you know, it's it, I had never heard of it before either. I don't think um, uh, I liked it as much as Hassan or Mike, but you know, it's it's decent and it's. It's it's fun to see. Oh, oh, that was the other thing I wanted to say. It's fun to see crowd shots like back in the seventies and and like when they're or, or non COVID. Yeah, well, that, that, <laughs> of course that too. But just like you know, a lot of older films from the seventies. You know, let's take um, uh, the incident. You know, you don't get many of those shots with tons of extras walking around. But in this movie, you know, they're they're swimming through the streets, a sea of people at different times. And I think yeah. that they that, did not have licenses to shoot those. <laughs> I was going to ask that. that. Did, sense. It, did it, did it look like it was gorilla? Yeah. yeah. Because there were people like watching, but because of the way he was dressed, it was fine to get away with that. People were staring at him and stuff. And I thought that was, you know, that's, that's just smart filmmaking, good, smart gorilla filmmaking. So that was really cool. Um, but no, I'm glad I, I glad I, I like seeing films that I've never heard of that, that are, are interesting and, and especially, uh, lean towards the artistic side. And this one definitely does. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a quirky little film and it's to land George C. Scott in this. I don't know how the, maybe the producer got him or whatever, but it was after Patton, it was, uh, it was pretty cool. I don't know when the, they got it. The but. director was an editor uh on uh, uh for a lot of kubrick stuff ah okay oh man okay that's, i'll that's do it uh including uh um uh, strange love so. strange love and lolita if my memory's right didn't scott win the oscar best actor for Patton? yep okay and then something happened with him did he not show up or am i thinking of you know you, you're correct it or well, no, I can't remember if, if no, I think I don't think he did. I, I Marlon Brando did. Marlon actually, Brando famously sent the American Indian to pick up. Yeah, his, that, uh, I thought there is a there's a scene uh, that they were talking about in uh, in the movie that uh, he's in a uh, freezer, like a meat locker. Yeah, and he's like, oh, hey, it's like being at the Academy Awards, and oh, he uh, that was apparently uh, all him, but. Uh, he did not have any love for the Academy from what was what I was understanding. That makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but my whole sum total of knowledge of it is based on what I heard in this movie. So George C. Scott was noted for his utter, utter distaste for the entire ceremony he was nominated for his performance as general Patton been nominated for the hustler and had refused it. Then nominated the second time he again refused, he would refuse the nominations. Uh, Scott famously called the Oscars a two-hour meat parade, a public display with contrived suspense for economic reasons, and sent a telegram to the Academy telling them he'd be refusing the award and didn't even want his name on the ballot. Oh, George, just 
Take the award, uh, he, man. Yeah. He, he won it, and they gave it to him anyway. Or they he and won it Scott, anyway. Scott had ended up did winning to make matters worse. Scott's win came at a time when the Academy Awards legitimacy was being called into question, especially oh, as boy. it was now being televised for the first time. He refused it. He's like, "Go fuck yourself. I don't want it. Told you, you give it to me anyway. Oh, go fuck yourself again." Basically, is what he through said. the films like uh, the famous uh, through Fiona the films Apple producer moment. Frank McCarthy accepted on the night and returned it to the Academy the next day. Wow. Yeah. Fiona and Apple got an award. Said the award was bullshit at MTV. She got an MTV Music Award or something like that. And she said, "This is all bullshit." But thank you. <laughs> she <Yeah. laughs> That sounds about right. Coming from her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, three people have won Oscars and refused him. Steve Scott, Brando, and then some guy in 1935. Sorry, I don't got that gumption. I'd take it. Like, yeah. Ooh, they love me. Everybody loves me. <laughs> I got another award. Everybody loves me. <laughs> it would go to my head immediately. There would be no there would be no word go. I've always said that about superpowers. I'd say every friend I ever had. The moment I got superpowers, start formulating a way to kill me because it's going straight to my head. It is not. I, I like to tell people I don't need your approval. I just desperately want it. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Apparently, the guy in 1935 was a screenwriter and he won for the screenplay for a film. Uh, he refused the award because of an ongoing writer's strike in Hollywood. And was apparently, three. Trumbo? No. Well, no, he was blacklisted. <laughs> Nickel, the guy would eventually accept it three years later in 1938 after the dispute had been settled. Not only that, but he was elected to the president of the Writers Guild of America, owing most likely to his refusal of the Oscar at the time. Oh, That's my awesome. God. Wow. wow. How about It's called a long game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Catherine Hepburn famously never attended the Oscars when she was nominated or won. She did proudly display the statues in her home. That's funny Good for her. I never realized that she never was ne- she never accepted any of her Oscars. She, she never went to n- never went to the show. Oh well, what are you going to do? Um, <clears throat> so uh, I guess if uh, none of us have anything else on. Uh, they might be giants. They might be giants, boy. Uh, I guess even uh, old New York was once New Hampshire. Oh, they change it. I can't say it will just like it better that way. <laughs> One of their greatest songs is older. I send that to my cousin every every yes, birthday. Every birthday, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Every last time line. is marching on and time. <laughs> It's still, it's still marching, marching on. on. <laughs> you're older than you've ever been, and now you're even older. And now you're even older. I have one. <laughs> I have one good. They might be giant story. If you guys want to hear it, yeah. So I'm waiting. I'm waiting. So me and uh, me and Tommy went down to see them. They were playing their first show in Chicago on their first tour uh, at the Cubby Bear. And it's Cubby like Bear three ninety four. Something like that. Uh, no, it would have been before that. This was off of the. This was off. This is on tour off the album with the pink cover. This was before oh, they. Wow, this that was be- their first album. This was before they had that album signed. It was before that album was pressed with their actual real label. It was on their own label. So this is back when you'd only ever heard them from Doctor Demento. 
Correct. So we, <laughs> and we were, we had copies of that CD to sell in the record store that we all worked at. This would have been like in like 87, 88, somewhere in there. So they were playing their first tour. They came to Chicago. They were playing this bar called the Cubby Bear. If you've never been to it, it's a, it's a, it's their, their, their concert room holds about, what would you say, like 200 people? Uh, 250 maybe? Pretty good guess. Yeah. Uh, it's literally a room that's about 30 feet square. The one downtown, you mean, right? Yes. Cubby yeah. Bear no, not Cubby Bear North. Yeah. Cubby Bear down by the down by the stadium. And so we went down there. Uh, Tommy was 21. I was 20. Uh, we had gotten tickets for the show. Uh, we went in early because the whole plan was we were going to try and figure out a way for me to not get carded and get booted out of the place. Unbeknownst to us. Uh, they would on nights that they had live bands play the bar, they kicked everybody out who wasn't eating in the other half of the restaurant. They kicked everybody out and then started fresh with the door. Oh, wow. So, so me and Tommy are standing cause they had, they were started doing a sound check. So me and him just wandered back there and started watching him do sound check. And so, you know, they warmed, did a couple of quick, like half versions of a couple of songs. And this is back when literally this was just Linnell and Flansburg and a tape machine. And their manager wow. used to carry a briefcase around with the tape reels in it that wow. had the recordings for all the songs because that was the band. So that wow. literally never left his side. Um, so we're standing there. And uh, they finished their, their little sound thing and they're, they're going to go out to eat. So Linnell and Flansburg walk over to me and Tom and they just start talking to us, asking us if we're there for the show, you know, and we're like, yeah, you know, I'm, you know, and telling them that like, you know, he's 21, you know, they're probably going to kick me out, but we're going to try and figure out a way to get back in, you know, blah, blah, blah. And uh, so we're standing there talking to the two guys. One of the bouncers comes over and just goes, uh, you know, hey, we're, we're, we're clearing the room before we, you know, before we do doors at six o'clock, you know, and we're like, oh, okay, cool. And, and he kind of looks at the two guys because he knows the two guys who are obviously are in the band. And he's like, oh, are these guys with you? And they look at us and they're like, yeah, yeah, they're with us. That's awesome. <laughs> That's and, awesome. He, and, he, and he goes, uh, all right, cool. So he just let us stay. So then they then cleaned everybody else out and then they did doors and then we were just in there. So awesome. Uh, awesome. otherwise I would not have gotten able, been able That's to. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, that was my, that was my experience with uh, the first time I ever met those guys. And what year? Uh, uh, I'd have to go back and look, but pr I'm thinking probably 88, 89. If flood would have been 90. Well, no, if so. I was, I was 20. So it was, it was 88. Okay, cool. It was either it was either like I want to say it was like I was just not quite 88. So I want to say it was like either late 87 or early, early 88, January, February, because I want to say I, had, I was just not quite 21. OK, but uh, but yeah, it was cool. Then they 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 the manager came out with the briefcase and they took off uh, and then they came back later and, and did the show. And it was just it was literally just them two on on stage with, uh, you know, with their with their with their guitars and then a guy to the side and he would just manually start and stop the tape for all the bass and drum Man. tracks i would have loved to have seen that i've only i've seen them live 
a dozen times at least. Wow. Um, but uh, I've never seen them without a band. I, I never saw them after that. That was the only time I ever saw them. I, I, I don't think we ever, you know, I, I've, I was a big fan. I've all their had, you know, picked up all the albums and stuff, but I just, I never, uh, you know, never got around to seeing them again, but uh, at least I got a good story. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> like I said, we saw, okay, go open for them. And uh, that was great. Cause my buddy and Dave and I are sitting there going, who are these guys and why have we never heard of them? <laughs> right. They are awesome. <laughs> And then they turned up on Conan six months later. But uh, oh, nice! I had never heard of OK Go until they started putting out those the, their fucking crazy ass videos, and they just got all that exposure from doing these videos yeah. that were just absolutely mind bending production pieces. Yeah, they came out and did a, a an acapella version of "Kiss Me, Son of God" that was great. Just <laughs> just as tribute to the band that they were opening for. Wow, that's cool. So. Uh, so that is They Might Be Giants, both movie and band. About all kinds of pop culture on the Cinemental Podcast. Everyone. That's right. We don't, uh, we do not discriminate, yeah. guess, especially when it comes to talk about movies. We talk <laughs> about music. And once in a while, we talk about posters. That's right. And usually it's because we've gone down the tubes. And again, the internet is not something that you just dump something on. It's not a big truck. It's, it's a series of tubes. Okay. <sighs> it's okay, Lay. There's not that many. No, I just feel bad for Hassan. He has to experience that every week. All right. So okay, anyway, down the tubes. Um, so for the, it might be giants. It's even, uh, it's an even smaller. Even I mean, they, they, yeah, they, this is, it's 1971. This is the poster image that they used for all the international image posters, uh, and us poster. And, uh, you it's know, it's a just, crap poster. It really is a crap poster. It's it very typical. Poster. I don't mind this poster actually. I, it's I pretty kinda, typical. <laughs> I, I kind of <laughs> like, like it. It reminds me of two things too, that I forgot to say is I instantly knew John Barry was the composer when the music started. That's, yeah, I didn't notice that. Um, and then the fact that it's a G-rated movie is interesting. Like, it's, that that makes me like it a little more. Was that, there a PG in 71? No. Okay. No, there was not? There was no PG. 71? We had yeah. we had this discussion. Did we talk about when PG came in? No, the- no. When did it? I didn't. I thought we talked. I thought that we we've we gone. I thought it was. This. I thought it was just GR and X until like. Oh, I didn't know that. I don't remember the eighties. I always thought there was P. No, oh, well, there was Empire Strikes. Back. It was PG, and then and then in our Empire. lifetime, there there came a PG thirteen. Well, that, that was that was nineteen eighty. What was the first PG movie? Hang on a second. I'm gonna. Find I wish out. I had a device that could tell me this fact. Oh boy! Some magical box with all the information. <laughs> we call it the cardboard Majora. <laughs> Not Red Dawn. Oh, it's PG thirteen. I don't use it because it's a trap. Wolverines. <laughs> uh, sorry, somebody said Red Dawn, so I had to say it. was was right. the year. So yeah, so it could have been PG then. This was seventy one. Well, all right then. Yeah. So I don't know what the fucking. You ain't giving this movie an X rating, I'll tell you that. <laughs> no. The ratings used from 68 to 1970 were GMR and X. 
1970, the ages for R and X were raised from 16 to 17. You had G, G, P, R, X, and then from 72 to 84. So 72 is when PG came into use. So it missed it by one year. Okay. Even still, I, I can, I would still argue that this is a good candidate for a G movie, even in a PG world. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's no real violence. There's no, I mean, yeah. Well, he gets shot in the head, I guess, but. But he got better. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, But he was fine. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, Indiana Jones and Indiana Jones and Gremlins were what caused PG 13. Right. But neither of them were PG 13. Correct. Okay. People's hearts. Anyway, hearts I just, like I just remember having a fight with my mom because, uh, uh, she, <laughs> be, because I had seen blues, I was watching Blues Brothers for the 15th time, and she's like, This is a rated R movie. I'm like, So it's Blues Brothers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it, it was it was rated hardly like, the 14 other times like, I saw it too. All Lang, you were like, shut Lang. up, mom. And then she was like, This <laughs> is why we need ratings. <laughs> <laughs> so nudity in that movie, and there's no violence, it's just pure language R. A language R is like Well, I mean, Carrie Fisher does kind of blow up a whole building. Well, I mean it's more than once. Comic violence. No one, no one really you don't see anyone like burst into pieces. No, that's true. No, no confetti blood. But it's a hard, I mean, it's a, you know, it's a fuck fest. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's well, not quite a fuck fest, but well, that's, a different I, I, kind, that's a different kind of R as well. You're falsely advertising that one. Okay. <laughs> it's fuck no, it's man. no we've, brown. Bunny. We've got listeners to consider, man, young man. No, that's Blues Brothers 2000. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I will never it's watch a fuck that fuck fest for I a completely not, different reason. patronize that. Fuck that movie. Hey, it's a music delivery vehicle, not a movie. Okay. Then I'll watch it. See? <laughs> That's all it took, Mike. <laughs> Deliver all you like. I'm still not watching. Uh, all right. And then so after the UK the, quad. And then the UK quad was the this was the only alternative piece of artwork I found for this movie. I actually like this poster. I so do I. Log line doesn't make sense though. That it totally misleads you. Yes. Well, most extraordinary yeah. couple. Well, of- it misleads you as much as the US one makes it look like a little love story. Yeah, and, and not a story about insane people. So you know, other than the fact that he's you know climbing a lamppost and handing down some flowers to her in a slicker and boots, which does that does that happen? I I was trying to remember too, <laughs> and I was hoping that I was. Just... Did they stick their heads up through a manhole cover? <laughs> not that I re- well, uh, yes. When they right before they go into the grocery store. Oh, all right. It, but I mean, it's right. kind of a blink and you'll miss it kind of thing. But yeah, I got blinked. Um, blink and you'll miss it, and then we'll put it on the poster. Yeah. That's right. That's right. So though, yeah, that was the only two images I found for that, and and uh, yeah, nobody's doing any posters for that movie. Uh, All right, down the tube. Nobody even knows that movie exists. I bet. Right. First time I ever heard of it. The Me band too. is more famous than the movie. It wasn't. Me named too. After. Me too. I mean, and honestly, if I had looked up, they might be giants on Wikipedia. It might say that they took their name from this movie from 1971, but I 
wouldn't have it, known otherwise. It does, but it also says that Flansburg's never actually seen the movie. He That's just heard fantastic. it. He heard the line and just thought it sounded cool for a name. That's hilarious. And it's considering how insane their music is, it's pretty ironic that they didn't bother to watch the yeah, film. Yeah, right? They are the exactly the kind of people that would uh, make a movie about thinking you're Sherlock Holmes. Yes, absolutely. When Sherlock Holmes solved his life. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing. Oh, you know what I forgot to mention about They Might Be Giants. Uh, so there was a movie, a made-for-TV movie in 1976 that was I don't I couldn't tell. I looked it up, but I couldn't tell if it was a sequel or if it was a remake. But it essentially, is the same premise, but starring Larry Hagman as a guy who gets wow. hit on the hits gets hit on the head and thinks he's Sherlock Holmes. Wasn't that the plot in Dallas? And it was called. <laughs> And it was called The Return of the World's Greatest Detective. Well, I mean, you could have a whole subgenre of almost <laughs> Sherlock. Oh, yeah. I mean, everything from yeah. uh, uh, what was the uh, what was the uh, John Cleese one? The case of the end of the world or something like that to Adventure of Sherlock Holmes, Smarter Brother with Gene Wilder to right. Young yeah. Sherlock Holmes. Young Sherlock uh, Holmes. Great flick. Yeah, I, I love just that. Saw that or, uh, it was good stuff. Which the one that they just did with... Uh, um millie bobby brown uh, <laughs> you know, no yes that that that, that i really like that but um yeah. what's the guy from or henry uh, cable john c Riley? john c Riley just did uh sherlock holmes oh, i heard did that he? movie was awful oh if, yeah but i mean he's the one with will ferrell but it's yeah but it's yeah. full sherlock holmes you know oh. um i remember that movie then there's the 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 michael kane one where where watson's a yeah, smart without one. a clue Without a clue, I, I yeah. love that oh movie. Oh my gosh, forgot about that movie. I mean, I saw that I on a plane. I went. I, I was uh, going to London, and I, I saw that on the plane to London. So Watson that was is the real detective, and he hires an actor who is Ben Kingsley That's to play right. Holmes. Yeah. So it's Michael Caine and Ben Kingsley not cashing it in for the check. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, so yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It is a complete subgenre of uh, of not quite Holmes. Homes adjacent, <laughs> but not almost homes. Almost homes. So much better. That's How are the so Guy Ritchie movies? What's that? How are the Guy Ritchie movies? I love them. You've yeah, never seen them? No. I I think that you would probably I, dislike them. Oh, I, saw I love the first one, one well, better than the second bad. one, but but I I really I like them. them. I know people who absolutely despise them. Yeah, uh, I really like them. I think they're fun modern retellings. You know, they're they're you know they're done. They're 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 classic British whodunits done of the popcorn style. Okay, they are, yeah, they're very much the way you get Batman represented in other than comic media, because yeah. in comics he's a detective. In right. everything else, he will punch you in the dick and then yeah, mad about. <laughs> Batman versus Detective Batman. See, you'll notice Pretty that I didn't much. even, I didn't either flinch nor laugh at that because honestly, Deirdre says that to me six times a day. <laughs> so that's a, that's a common threat. That's, that's a that's a common threat in my household. That's one of my issues with uh with Nolan's Batman. It's just it's like, come on, dude. No, just 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 solve something. You know, oh. save somebody, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I I enjoyed those. <laughs> I enjoyed those Nolan Batman movies, but at the end of it, you're just tired and depressed. Yeah, there's a hero. 
I mean, you just let the chief, the commissioner of the, the, the police commissioner drink acid, dude. Like, what are you on the job? Are you doing this job, <laughs> <Yeah>. Batman? <laughs> what is happening? But anyway, but everyone loves it. I, I think there's they're, they're stylistically gorgeous films, but yeah, well, no, we don't. Uh, that is my one of my favorite depictions of Batman. Yeah, but, he's uh, the Batman. He is Batman to ever Batman, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> but, yes, he is. But at the same time, there's the wanton murder and Batmobile with machine well, it depends guns. Depends on the depends on which genre of Batman you're 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 aping. Because I mean, if you're doing Dark Knight, then he's he murders his way yeah. through that entire book. So I mean, yeah, look, but I, I, but Dark I hear Knight you. is Frank Miller, and Frank Miller has problems anyway. So, uh. well, yeah, but I'm just saying it's that that it, it's there's a canon precedence for it. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. I know. I just yeah, it, it's a preference thing, just like I just how I feel about the Dark Knight. I it's like these are these are great movies. They're just terrible Batman movies. Yeah, you know, I kind of like my Batman, you know, a little more heroy than this guy is. You know, I have to <laughs> admit, less- I. I am kind of looking forward to seeing the Pattinson one. And I don't think if it is not, if it's not good, it won't be his fault. Of course not. Yeah. From what I've seen, it's like, I'm, I'm on board with his, you know, with his attempt to, uh, to pick up the role. We'll see what happens with that. Seems a little, the the trailer looks good. I mean, it's more violent, more punch up Batman. It's more dick punching Batman. (laughs) Yeah. He'll be as Batman-y as Joaquin Phoenix was Jokery. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I have mixed feelings about that yeah. Joker movie. I did finally see it, but yes, Latham. I don't want to see any more Batman movies. Any more Batman movies? Batman movies. I think. Well, okay, so I, I don't, don't think we need any more Batman movies. <laughs> you don't okay? have to. There's plenty. No, I don't want to. I don't. Want, I don't want them made as an option for others. That's oh, what I'm. Someone saying. tell me what kind of a world we live in. Okay, I I don't like a bat gets all of my press. I don't want to hear about any more Batman movies. Okay, I'm just I'm just telling you. You, I know you you guys should should turn your internet off. I know you (laughs) love Batman. Okay, someone's got a dissent here. I'm done with Batman. No more. Turn turn your internet off. You you said you've seen all the Marvel (laughs) movies, right? Seen what? You've seen all the Marvel movies? Yes. I'm sorry. Could you could you speak louder? (laughs) <laughs> yes, I have seen all the Marvel movies. You don't need to be a dick. I just need to not speak from 12 feet away. Yes, I am being a dick. Wow. Because We've right. crossed that threshold so fast. <laughs> I should have never said anything. He's clocked in. Like he, he, doesn't <laughs> under, he doesn't understand that when I, go to, when I go to edit this, that I have to try and <laughs> kind of configure for his voice overall. And then... From these random times when he speaks into about something going on from 18 feet away from the microphone, and it's like, oh, I, you know, first guy, I don't want to think that I, I don't like it. And you're like, I'm sorry, what? And he's like, <laughs> then it becomes I gotta speak this close to the microphone. Well, you know, you play. Oh. I just like the far away. I don't like it. I don't like it. You let him go. You you could do the Scrooge thing. I don't I don't like it. There's two straight men on this podcast and one Joker, and that's how it's gonna be. Uh, Fair enough. And and that makes a good segue to uh, uh, to Mike's statement from a few minutes ago, which was uh, he he recently saw the Joker. Uh, and, and oh what, yeah, I, what were your I, what were your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, 
<laughs> I, I, like I, it, I didn't I, really care for it. <laughs> um, it it's, I mean, it, it's again, where we're leaning on mental health and uh, in such a way that, you know, it's excusing, we're, we're, we're turning people that needed help into um, cult heroes. Uh, it's the same, you know, in a perfect world, he would have gotten the help that he needed and none of that would have happened, but he was ignored. He was this, and then on top of that, there's, it's the glorifying of that position. It's the people that say, well, that's me. So I'm going to be like that. And I just, I, I really don't like, it's the same problem I have with stuff like, sorry, I'm a bunch of half sentences. It's the same problem I have with stuff like, uh, uh, um, Scarface, you know, where the protagonist is a bad guy. Okay. Yeah. You, you know, your protagonist does not need to, protagonist just means the center of the story, but people think that the protagonist means the hero. And so they automatically assume that because they're the lead, they're a hero. It should be, you know, uh, uh, pattern their lives after, you know, uh, and Scarface is supposed to be a cautionary tale. Joker should be a cautionary tale. Uh, Godfather should be a cautionary tale. Uh, but instead, this is a lifestyle that people think, oh, I should be this. Uh, <laughs> and anyway, that's, yeah. Yeah, I mean. Fair enough. It's it's so definitely an overrated film, I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't disagree. There's not much um, to it. It's a great performance, but it's, yeah. The problem is it was $6 in a steel book at Target, and they hit me right <laughs> where I live, so. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Anywho, uh, Mike, thanks again for, <laughs> for coming on the show. It's a blast. Two good picks. Uh, you know, movies. I mean, listen, I got you know, we've said this before to, to multiple guests, and regardless of how we feel about the movies at the end of the day, uh, it's about you know getting to see stuff that we either, you know, in this case, stuff that we didn't even know existed, you know, in, in some cases. So, I mean, that's that's always going to be fun for us, you know. I mean, you know, in a few days, I'm going to see two more what are considered classic films that I just haven't gotten around to seeing. So it's great to, it's great that this show still allows for, um, you know, new doors to be opened every time we record it. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to have anyone on the show who's, uh, uh, you know, capable of doing that for us. So I'm uh, uh, always, always happy to have you on. Awesome. I'll, I'll be back anytime. Uh, on next week. I don't push it. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. <laughs> Thanks to Festlian Music. Please check out our website at sentimentalpod.com for all the poster images we discuss on our Down the Tube segment. And don't forget to download and subscribe to Sentimental wherever you enjoy your podcasts. You can always listen to new episodes at sentimentalpod.com. You can also follow us on all major social media accounts at sentimentalpod. For Hassan Godwin, Latham Conger III, Mike Wycliffe, and myself, we say thank you so much for listening. And as always, in the words of our friend and schizophrenic detective in love, Truman Burbank. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. <laughs>